This morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 32. So please turn there. And this in particular is the testimony of John the Baptist and the moment when he pointed Jesus out to all of those who were around him. And we'll look at this and how it affects us and how it speaks to us today as uh, children of God. So let's go to him and ask for help as we uh, look into this text. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would give us wisdom to understand it, give us wisdom to apply it to our lives today as it is eternal, as it always speaks to us, it is never out of date. It is timeless because it is your words. And so, Father, convict us of our sin, where we would attempt to make these words say what we would like them to, where we would disagree with you. Lord, help us to um, see the truth of your word. Open our hearts this morning. Open our minds that we might learn from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm a big fan of a sport called mixed martial arts. Some of you have heard of mixed martial arts. And mixed martial arts is a, uh, it's kind of like a mix between boxing and wrestling. Uh, It gets other bad names like cage fighting, which I don't think is a good representation of what it is. But mixed martial arts is, uh, if you appreciate martial arts, you'll really appreciate it. Um, but, and of course, like anything that was becoming popular, uh, there was a reality show about mixed martial arts, and it still is a reality show. I don't watch it as much anymore, but on one season of this particular reality show, there was a man there by the name of Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes is a Christian, and he's also a mixed martial artist. And he was coaching this one of the teams on the reality show. <clears throat> and... What he had his uh, team do was he passed them all a Bible, and he asked them to read from the book of Esther. And you would have thought that he had handed them a bucket full of live hornets. The way that people reacted, the way that uh, the community around the sport reacted, they, you would have thought that he was trying to convert them to some strange thing or he was trying to, like, inflict pain upon them when actually he was just trying to get them to read a story from the Bible and uh, just talk about it as a group of people. And as I watched that, I noted, and, and that's been several years, and I feel like it's even gotten worse since then, that it is becoming increasingly difficult for Christians to point people to Christ in today's world. At the mere mention of Christ or Jesus or the Bible or anything Christian, because of the, uh, just because of the way our culture has been, has been uh, made to go, people will automatically form an opinion. And they'll automatically think that you're this because you said the word Jesus or because you're believing the Bible or whatever. It's because the world is not just non-Christian anymore, but it's becoming more and more, to me, and I think most would agree with me, anti-Christian even. 
And this is, shouldn't be a surprise to us. What did Jesus say? He said, the world will hate you because it first hated me. The world will always be at odds with Christians. And I think that if you look at history, that has kind of ebbed and flowed. And, and here in America, we have had a, a great time of, of good and peace. And we're starting to see a little bit of difference. And so in this passage, we're going to read about one whose specific Scripture-given, God-given job was to point other people to Jesus Christ. And I think John the Baptist's ministry has a lot to tell us as believers how we can also point other people to Jesus. So, as we come to the text, uh, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 32, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked them, asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might, re- that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. This is God's Word. You can be seated. And so John... Shows them three things here. First, he's going to take them to the source of all of his information. Then he's going to show them particular signs from Scripture. And then he's ultimately going to point them to Jesus Christ, the Savior. So first he shows them the source. These priests, they were coming, they were doing their job. Someone was out in the wilderness preaching, so they were going to check it out. 
They were also sent by the Pharisees, as we learn later. And the question they asked him, you know, he's out there, you can imagine, we read in other sections, or other uh, Gospels, that John is wearing camel skins. He's probably a strange-looking dude. He eats locusts and honey. And he's out in the wilderness baptizing people. So it's kind of a strange situation. And the priests, out, they go out there with their priestly garb, and they said, who are you? Which is an interesting question. I mean, how many times have you ever been asked the question, who are you? You know, a lot of times we just want to answer with our name. But in this case, it wouldn't have been sufficient for John to just simply say, my name's John. Because he's out there baptizing people, and he's doing so in a manner that seems authoritative, that seems that he has something about him that's different. So, this is a hard question to answer. You know, it's almost as if it's a very, it's a very combative question. Who do you think you are? Is probably a better way to ask this. But of course, they were, they were trying to play the, uh, the people game, and there's all these people around, so. They were sent there by the Pharisees, and who do we know about, what do we know about the Pharisees? Well, and you have to understand that in John's audience, right here up front, we're hearing about the Pharisees because the Pharisees represented the biggest opponent to the gospel. Not just in the pages of the gospels that we read, you know, as they confronted Jesus on multiple occasions, but even in the early days of the church. They were the biggest opponents of the church, of the gospel. So when John wrote this gospel, he was making a special note to let the church then know that the Pharisees had been meddling in the affairs of Jesus Christ ever since the beginning of his ministry. This was no new thing for the Pharisees to be there or to be sending their lackeys to do their their bidding. So he was asked a series of questions as to what his identity was. And the questions are very scriptural in basis. So what does John do then when he gets asked these questions? He goes straight to scripture and he tells them who he is. They say, are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you then? We need to know. And he said... I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. And let's look at this passage that John is quoting. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is an interesting chapter in the book of Isaiah because it's kind of the, the chapter that the whole book hinges on. And, and here we see a distinct shift away from prophecies against and more prophecies of healing, prophecies towards and helpful towards the, the people of Israel. And this is what this says, verses 1 through 5. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up 
Every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, who are you gets answered with Scripture. And so John the Baptist isn't just somebody out baptizing. He's actually the one whom this voice or this verse says a voice cries. He is that voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way for the Lord. These are very important words to the Jewish people. These are words that the Jewish people, even in Jesus' day, would have repeated in their liturgies. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Why? Because Israel was always in a state of upheaval. Israel was always in a state of defeat because of their enemies, because of their captors. And this verse in particular would have brought them comfort. Why? Because they were looking forward to the one who was going to make all of this finally come true. They were looking forward to the Messiah. And it says that make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Not that there were highways in those times, but you kind of get the idea of what's going on. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain will be made low. What's happening to every single obstacle that might be in the way of the Lord? It's being removed. The mountains are being squashed. The valleys are being lifted up. The ground is becoming level. Every obstacle is being removed so that the word of the Lord might go forth. Again, this is a promise that God might one day send the deliverer. That God did not forget his people. And that one day he would finally save them for good. And this is the one who John the Baptist says, I am this person preparing the way of the Lord. So what do we do with this? I think for us, this is a direct call for us to use what John is doing here to point people to Jesus Christ. And what is that? That's the Word of God. You know, what, what testimony do we have you know, we can, we can say, we can tell others, well, I belong to Christ and this is how I got here. And I think our testimony is very important and we'll talk about that in a minute. But as soon as they ask, who is Christ? We can only take them to one place. And that's God's Word. We have been given this same task that John was given. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back, and when he comes back, he's, no, he's not coming to die on the cross again. He's not coming to die for the sins of his people again. He's coming back to take his people home. And at that point, it'll be too late. So what are we to do as believers? We have to prepare a way in the wilderness, in the hearts of the lost. What is the wilderness? Talk to an unbeliever if you want to know what wilderness is. Listen to their music. Watch the TV. Listen to the things that they say are important that they think will last forever. That's the wilderness. We can't change their hearts. 
but we can certainly tell them about the one who can. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. He was telling them about the one who could, who would finally come and change the hearts of men. And how do we do this? We do, do this by the plain things, the ordinary things. We do this by preaching the gospel. There is no gospel outside of the word of God. And the word of God alone is necessary for one to hear the name Jesus to know who he is, and to call upon his name and be saved. And so secondly, he showed them the signs. So let's go look back. Let's look back at these questions that were asked of him. They said, are you Elijah? Well, in Malachi, if you want to turn there, it's right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5, this is the last verse in in the Old Testament. This is what the prophet Malachi says. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What's going to happen? This prophet Elijah, who was back there in the Kings, remember we read we read about Elijah. This prophet was going to come and ch- and turn the hearts so that they might hear the word of the Lord. But when John was asked, "Are you Elijah?" he said, "No," because he wasn't Elijah; he was John. But what did Jesus say about this? Some will point to, as to this as a contradiction in Scripture, so I want to. I want to show you guys this. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, or 11 through 14, excuse me. This is what Jesus says concerning John the Baptist. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent have taken it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. For who has ears to hear, let him hear. So John is indeed this prophesied Elijah that is to come. He's not the person of Elijah come back from the dead, or any, even though Elijah didn't die. But he is the, the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the one who is supposed to come and to turn the hearts of men and to change the hearts of men. And they ask him again. Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 18. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Who is this prophet? The prophet. Israel had known about lots of prophets, but here here Jesus is particularly pointing towards one prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, it says this. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. And whoever will not listen to my words, and that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So when John was asked, are you this prophet that Moses talked about back in Deuteronomy? He says, no. The one that I'm pointing towards is the prophet. John doesn't have the kind of authority that Moses is talking about here to require it of them. What does that mean? That if you're not going to hear and heed the words of the Lord, then every single one of them will be required of you. Because what is the words of Jesus? Call upon my name, and you'll be saved. Take upon you my righteousness, and I'll take your sin. But if you don't want that, then you will have the entire word of the law required of you. So he's not the prophet. He's not Elijah. And so the next question is, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah? Or the prophet. Why was he baptizing? Baptism wasn't an odd thing then. The Jewish people regularly baptized new converts into the Jewish faith. The Pharisees actually made a big to-do about baptism because this represented the Jewish faith growing. And this represented income for the Pharisees, of course. So they made a big deal about the, the baptisms. And so here is John out in the wilderness, and he's baptizing. But who is he baptizing? The Pharisees only baptized Gentile convert or Gentile converts. Who was John baptizing? He was baptizing Jews. You can see why the Pharisees weren't happy about this. Because what did the Pharisees hold dear? Well, I'm a Jew. I'm a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, I'm saved. It's the Gentile world that needs a Savior, not me. And what is John saying? No, we all need this Jesus, and you need to be baptized. And what is the baptism of John? <clears throat> There's books written about the baptism of John, so I'm not going to go into uh, all the details other than to say what was John's purpose but to prepare the way of the Lord. And so then what would his baptism be purposed as as well, but to do just that? His baptism, what does he say? Be baptized for the remission of your sins. This baptism was demonstrative of how Jesus would bring a sinful Jew or Gentile out of the wilderness and into his family. This baptism was representative of what Jesus was going to do in the hearts of of men and women. It didn't actually do anything. You know, we and we still preach that today. The baptism doesn't do anything uh, towards salvation. But it simply, in, in, John's, in John's case, this baptism simply prepared the way for Jesus. 
And so these signs are very clear. <clears throat> they ask questions. And why were they asking questions? You have to remember the context here. They hadn't heard a word from God in 400 years. And so all of a sudden, this man is out in the desert making, making clear the way of the Lord, preaching Scripture, baptizing Jews and Gentiles alike, talking about the Messiah. And you have to think, well, maybe these priests and these scribes and the Pharisees, they had to know in their hearts this was real. Surely they recognized the signs, even though they didn't know the person that he was talking about. What did John say about Jesus? He said, I baptize you with remission of your sins, but what is Jesus going to do? He's going to come, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a prophecy from, from Joel, chapter 2, that when the Messiah came, that the Holy Spirit, that the men and women will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why the Holy Spirit? Because it's the promise. It's the way that the hearts of men and women would finally be changed. Remember we talked about the New Covenant blessings. The New Covenant blessing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that would come and finally change the hearts of men and have the ability to do that. But what did the Pharisees do? What did the scribes and the priests do? They held on to their tradition. They held on to their, their namesake. They held on to everything but Christ, and they rejected him. But others were baptized. Others recognized the signs, and they were baptized. <clears throat> One of the stories that I like to tell about recognizing the signs and seeing that they're real is a story about a man named Harry Randall Truman. Not our, not our president, Harry Truman, but another man by the name of Harry Truman. And he lived in uh, Washington State in 1980. And he lived at the base of Mount St. Helens. And he, was, he had been told by these volcanologists and, and all these different people, hey, you need to get out of here. This, this uh, volcano is about to blow. And his statement was, I've lived here for... 60-something years, and the volcano's always been nice to me, and I've been nice to it, and I know it, and I know that it's not getting ready to explode. <clears throat> and now Harry Randall Truman is buried under several hundred feet of, of ash because he chose to ignore the signs. He chose to uh, make light of what people were saying, something that was very clear he chose to make light of. And so I would say that the signs are still very clear today. Just look at what's happening. The church is very much alive. Even though there's a lot of people in the world that would destroy the church, that would seek to, to, to crush it, honestly. The pe people's lives are being changed. The earth sings the praises of their creator. And the only doubt that people have in their minds is the same doubt that people had back then. The same doubt that the priests and the Pharisees had then. That if this is the Savior, if Jesus Christ is the Savior, then something besides, then there's something besides me, there's something besides myself that makes my life work, and it just, it's no longer just me. I can't save myself. I have no ability to save myself. If Jesus is who he says he is, 
then I owe him my allegiance, I owe him my worship, and I just simply refuse to do that. And that's the same doubt that people have today. So what do we have? And again, let me encourage you, just like John did, he pointed them to Scripture over and over again. But people won't hear Scripture sometimes. They won't hear it. And they can't, frankly, until the Lord changes their hearts. So what do we have to show them? We can show them what Jesus is doing in our lives. We can show them how Jesus has changed our lives. And how do we do that? We do that by actually living out the things that we claim to believe. We do that by living as Jesus would have us live. You know, what did John say about himself? I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to to take the lowliest position of a slave when it comes to Jesus. Is that the position we're willing to take? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Particularly to a people who wouldn't even listen to us. Are we willing to serve the lost? Are we willing to serve beside them in some cases? This is our model that the Lord left for us. In the end, it reminds me a lot of the, a story that we'll talk about later in the book of John, in John chapter 9, the blind man, when he was asked question after question about Jesus, he finally just said, you know what? All I know is I was blind and now I see. If our lives aren't showing them Jesus Christ, then our words likely won't point to him either. So our lives should be a daily testimony of his goodness and of his grace. <clears throat> and so lastly, I want to get to this point that Jesus, or that John showed them the Savior. So the next day, John was baptizing, probably had a similar audience. He sees Jesus off in the distance. He said that he did not know Jesus. John probably knew of Jesus. They were family. But it wasn't like we have today where you can just simply drive to your family's house. You know, it, they lived apart and, and living any distance in those days was difficult to traverse. So he probably knew Jesus in the sense that, you know, your distant relatives. But he hadn't been around him a ton. And it wasn't until Jesus came into the water at one point when John was baptizing. And we read that account of Matthew chapter three. And what happened? He said, baptize me, and, and John immediately knew it was up. He said, no, you should be baptizing me. And when he baptized Jesus, the sky opened up. The Father spoke, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. John knew that this wasn't just any other Jew that he was baptizing. This was the Son of God, and he said that very thing. He says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John knew Jesus at this point. He knew that Jesus was something special. And so when he sees Jesus off in the distance, what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He could have said, Behold, your Creator. He could have said, Behold, the Prophet who was to come. Behold, the Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting for. But he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. They would have immediately known what this was. This points to Isaiah chapter 53. The Lamb who would be slain, who would be slaughtered, and who of the Father says the, it was pleased, the Father was pleased to crush him. This is the one who would come who would not only take away the sins of the world, but begin to make right all the wrongs in the world. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61 with me. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of, of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called, called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Who's this about? It's about Jesus. Jesus even stood up in the middle of a temple service and read this. And what did they say? Some of them appreciated it. Some of them drove him to the edge of a cliff and attempted to stone him. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who will set the captives free, who will make the blind to see, who will make the lame to walk. And how does he do this? He does this through the shedding of his blood. And this promise is not only for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. And so let me ask you, can we do this same thing today? You know, as John sees Jesus out in the distance and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Can we, with that same kind of exuberance, that same kind of excitement, point to Jesus and say that? The world is desperate for a Savior. And, and Jesus is the Savior. There is no other way to find completion. There is no other way to find hope. He is the answer to all of the questions of life. Jesus Christ came to save. And how do we do that? We preach Christ. We preach Christ in our words, and we preach Christ in what we do. The Jewish people were looking for a commander. They were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for one who would come and claim all of the enemies for his own. 
and that's what they got, but not exactly how they expected to get it. So one last trip into the Old Testament. Let's look in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. This is a psalm about Jesus, like they all are. Look at verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. That should ring a bell to us. Those We've been studying covenant theology. What did the Lord promise Abraham? The nations, that they would all be blessed through him. What's the promise here to Jesus? The nations, the ends of the earth. How does he expect that to happen? Is he going to conquer? Is he going to drive them out? No. What did he call us to do? Go, therefore, preaching the name of Christ, baptizing the nations. We are told, or we are still told, to tell the whole world about Jesus, taking his name to all the nations, taking his name to all the nations that are represented at Murray State. There are lots. All the nations that are represented in my high school and in the other high schools, there's a lot. Baptizing them, discipling them. Like John, we have been given this very unique position here today, having seen the Lord in the pages of Scripture, and that we can say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. We have our lives to show what He's done for us and what He's doing for us, and most importantly, we have His holy and inerrant word to guide us and to proclaim His name. So let me go to the Lord and ask for prayer as we help, as ask for help as we do just that. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we pray that as <clears throat> you've called us to to go out into the nations, that you've called us to go out into our community, that you would help us, that we would not be weak, that we would not be frail, that we would not be afraid but we would take your name boldly. It cost John his life. It cost the disciples their lives. So Lord, help us to take your name out and to spread it to a people who are desperate, people who need a Savior. Your son Jesus is our Savior and theirs. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.